0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills podcast. We're in a study in the book of Ecclesiastes called Unsatisfied, The Search for Meaning. We're learning that chasing after satisfaction apart from God will leave us empty. Thanks for joining us. There is another evil I have seen under the sun. Wise words bring approval, but fools are destroyed by their own words their thoughts on foolish assumptions so their conclusions will be wicked madness. They chatter on and on. No one can really predict the future. No one knows what's going to happen. But fools are so exhausted by a little work they can never find their way home. Laziness leads to a sagging roof. Idleness to a leaky house. When you dig a well, you might fall in. When you demolish an old wall, you could be bitten by a snake. When you work in a quarry, stones might fall and crush you. When you chop wood, there is danger with each stroke of the axe. And a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade. This is the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed.
1: Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Grateful for the readers we've had over this series, uh, getting our hearts prepared for the text we're going to be looking at. So just to make sure that you're not still asleep from Turkey or Black Friday shopping, I'm gonna start this morning by showing you some actual warning labels that are printed on products. I looked these up, these are true, and as we're looking at these, I simply want you to ask yourself one question. Who in the world are these warnings for, okay? So here's the first one, this is a Duraflame log, you know these, they, you can light up, it says warning, risk of fire. <laughs> Great. Here's another one. If you want to buy a go-kart, warning, it moves when it's used. Here's one of my favorites here. This is true. A Superman outfit for a child says it will not enable you to fly. So just make sure you heed that warning. This one is just for fun. Literally, it says, if you can't read the directions, please don't continue. Like, they couldn't read the warning even, right? So here's one of a sun visor. It says... Do not drive while having the sun visor up. This one, I I really did research on this because I was like, this can't be true, it's true. Do not sleep while using this hair dryer. And then my favorite was this iPod says, do not eat the iPod. And I'm like, that cannot be right. I went to the Apple website, look it, it's there. Do not eat the iPod shuffle. Now what do these companies take us for? A bunch of fools? Well, maybe so. And that is the connection I want to make uh, this morning to the text that we're going to be looking at as we continue a series. If you're visiting with us this whole fall, we've been walking through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes in a series we called Unsatisfied. You can see from those banners there. And this morning we get to a section where Solomon is going to compare the wise person to the foolish person. Solomon loves to talk about this, not just in Ecclesiastes, but really much of the book of Proverbs is written about this very thing. What makes somebody foolish and what makes them wise? Is a wise person someone who knows not to eat an iPod shuffle? Or is there more to it than that? Of course there's more to it. And in this section of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is going to address that. Now let me just give you a warning of my own. This section of Ecclesiastes is not some sort of carefully constructed argument. It's more of a collection of short stories and case studies and proverbs and comparisons and quotations. And so listen, as a very logical thinker, this has been a difficult text for me to grasp. But as I've gotten more into it and immersed myself into it, I realized Solomon is really just wanting us to take away one thing here which is what is the wise way to live versus the foolish way to live. And so as we've talked about throughout this series, the way Solomon has gone about Ecclesiastes, he's been asking us these tough questions of life. Some of us have enjoyed this book study a lot, right? It's asking the questions we all ask. He's been goading us, and the question he's asking us to answer this morning is pretty simple if you're following on your notes with me. Are you choosing the path of wisdom or foolishness? Now before you answer that, we need to look at the text, but those are the two ways people can live today according to Solomon. There's the wise way to live and there's the foolish way to live. So let's look at it. I'm going to invite you to do something we do every week here at Cherry Hills, which is to take your Bible and turn it this week to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're looking at chapter 9, starting in verse 13, and we're going to make our way all the way through chapter 10. We have a lot of ground to cover. If you don't have your own Bible, we encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles we provide somewhere in the seats underneath you there. We'd love for you to follow along there, and you can find this on page 466. And we love to say this. We know there's some guests here this morning. If you don't own your own Bible, we'd love for you to take that home with you as our gift to you. So Solomon's going to do two things in these verses. First, he's going to talk about the difference between a wise person and a foolish person. And then in the rest of it, he's going to basically apply it to three specific situations in our life. What is the wise response in these three areas of our lives versus the foolish response? So we have a ton of material to cover this morning. Before we do that, however, uh, let's make sure that we bow our heads, we pray, and then we invite him to speak. Lord, we say this often here, and it's not just empty words. Unless you choose to speak to us, my words are empty this morning. They will make no difference It will be a waste of time, but we trust that your word is alive, and you want to use it in our lives, and so we offer this time to you with expectation, anticipation, that you have something to say to us individually, and us corporately, so we give this to you in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to pick it up where Jeff left off last week in chapter 9, he finished in verse 12, so let's look at verse 13. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, Wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. In a short story, Solomon basically describes this poor man who was wise, and because of his wisdom, he was able to save the city. His conclusion, wisdom is better than strength. But then notice at the end, he realizes even wisdom doesn't last. It's not the ultimate thing. It's not the thing that is going to satisfy him in the long run. And then starting in verse 17, he starts to show the difference between wisdom and folly with these three quick proverbs. It says, the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And then look at chapter 10, verse 1. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Each of those are basically saying the same thing. If you're on your notes, even a little folly can ruin something good. Even a little foolishness can ruin something good. I find verse 1 of chapter 10 particularly powerful. It's such a strong image here. Solomon is describing perfume, comparing that to wisdom, something that is sweet, and yet this fly finds itself into the perfume, and it begins to rot. And what was once smelling sweet has now turned sour. All it takes, he says, is one rash word, one rude remark, one hasty decision, one foolish thing to turn something good into something bad. I found it interesting this week, I did not know this actually, the Titanic I often th- thought sank because of a giant hole that was made because they ran into that iceberg, but actually it was because of several really small holes that the ship began to sink. And I think that's a little bit of what Solomon is describing here. Often it's not these giant things that ruin it, it's these small things in our lives. Some of you have maybe experienced this, you've been, had a great day with your spouse or your friend and at the end of the day you say something really dumb, And the whole day is ruined. Now, I don't have any personal experience with this, but I assume some of you might. Uh, So I thought that would be a good illustration. Why are you laughing about that? (laughs) This, to Solomon, is really why we need to know the difference between wisdom and foolishness. Most Christians, as one scholar said, can distinguish between good and evil. We know that some things are morally right while others are morally wrong. So we try to do the right things instead of the wrong things. And this kind of thinking is fine, but the trouble is that some of the most important choices of life are not between good and evil, but between wisdom and folly. That's important. So to understand the difference, it'd be good to know the biblical definition of a fool. It's not how we think of it today. In our culture, we think of a fool as somebody with a low IQ, somebody who's not smart. But if you're following in your notes, in the Bible, a fool is someone who lacks proper fear of God. A fool is someone who lacks proper fear of God. Psalm 14.1 says it this way, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And that fundamental decision then characterizes the rest of that person's life. The fool is characterized other places in the Bible by disobedience, by self-centered arrogance, by a rash disregard for the holiness of God. Really, the fool in the Bible lives for themselves. Or to put it in the context of Ecclesiastes, as we've talked about, the fool thinks that life under the sun is all there is. That that's all there is to live for. In verse 2, Solomon explains this, and this is really the heart of the matter, literally. Read it out loud on your notes there with me, would you? It says, the heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Now, believe it or not, this is not talking about somebody's political leanings. People have taken that verse to mean that. With apologies to left-handers, my daughter included, when the Bible uses the word right in this context... It's referring to the correct path, the place of strength, the place of honor, the place of protection, the place of wisdom. It's why Jesus is said to sit at the right hand of the Father. And so Solomon says right here in verse 2, there are two paths that you can choose in life. There's the one to the right, which is the path of God, and then there's the other path, the path of foolishness. It reminded me of a story I read this week. There was five ladies driving in a car. They were older ladies and there was a police officer who had a speed trap going and this car was only going 22 miles an hour on the highway. And so the police officer thought, wow, I need to pull them over. Uh, This is a really dangerous situation. So he pulls this car over and he says, excuse me, ma'am, did you realize that you're only going 22 miles per hour? And she said, yeah, that's what the sign says. And he goes, oh, no, no, that's the sign for the name of the highway. And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry, officer. I'm so sorry about that. And then he says, can I just ask you one more question? Everybody in your car looks extremely frightened. Is there a reason for that? And she said, well, we just got off Highway 127. It'll be fine. (laughs) That's the difference between a wise person and a fool. Reading the right signs, choosing the right path, driving on the right road. So what about you? Let's make it more serious. What signs are you reading? Are you moving toward temptation and away from evil? Or are you moving towards it? Are you moving the right way when it comes to discipleship? Or are you falling away spiritually? Are you drawing closer to the people of God? Or are you pulling yourself away from them? Notice the reason the fool goes the way that he or she goes is because his heart is in leaning in that direction. Solomon's not referring to our physical heart, but to the center of our life. As Proverbs 4:23 says, "Read this on the screen with me. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from." It. So listen, in the Bible, if you're on your notes there, the heart is the core of a person's being. It's who you are. It's the center of who you are. In our culture, sadly, we've reduced our heart to our feelings. But Scripture says it's the place from where your whole life flows and the wise person takes the right path because that's the way their heart is drawing them and leading them. The fool takes the other path because that's where their heart is drawing them and leading them. Solomon talks a lot about this in the book of Proverbs. But let me ask you a question. Is my heart leading me on a path toward or away from God? (laughs) That's the question verse 2 is asking, if you're on your notes. Is my heart leading me on a path toward or away from God? Well, how do I know? Well, you'll know because your appetite for the word of God is going to increase. Has the Bible grown stale for you? You're going to know because you're going to be much more serious about the sin in your life. Is personal sanctification still important to you? You're going to know if your heart is leading you on that path because you're going to have the heart of God for the least of these. Or is your heart leading you to be more self-centered on me, myself, and I? understand that where your heart leads you is where the direction of your life will go. This is why Solomon says in verse three, even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. In other words, the fool is on the wrong road completely, and he or she doesn't even realize it. This is why Solomon painstakingly defines the difference between wisdom and foolishness. What path are you on? What path are you choosing? Now starting in verse 4, Solomon wants to show us the right path to take when it comes to three specific areas in our life. He's going to literally apply wisdom and compare and contrast the wise way with the foolish way. So the first one, if you're on your notes there, is for living under authority. Living under authority, number one. He's going to compare and contrast the wise versus the foolish way to live under those who have authority over us. So, starting in verse 5, he says, There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions, while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback, while princes go on foot like slaves. Now, jump down to verse 16. Woe to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. If you were here two weeks ago in chapter 8, Solomon painted a pretty ugly picture of those in authority, especially political leaders. And verses 5 through 7 continue that. They describe a foolish leader. When the wrong people get into power, he says, everything gets turned upside down. Good things are turned evil, verse 5. Verse 6, rich sit in the low place. Now, in a different context, that might be a good thing. But in the context that Solomon's talking about here, the rich refer to the people who have worked hard and have gained a reward as a result of that. Solomon's point is that a foolish leader overlooks those kind of people. And instead of putting those kind of people in places of leadership, they put lazy and impatient and unworthy people. This is further described in verse 7 there. When a fool is in authority, slaves ride on horses and princes walk. Again, he's just showing the upside-down nature of what happens when a fool leads. Then in verses 16 and 17, he compares and contrasts a wise leader with a foolish leader again. Foolish leaders get up in the morning and they get drunk immediately. Because all they care about is themselves. A wise leader, though, they care about the country. They want to defend the country. They, They... They they want to be wise in the stewardship of wisdom God has given them and leadership. And so, how does a wise person respond to all this? Whether we have a wise leader or a foolish leader over us, what is our response to be as wise people? The answer is found in verse 4, which I'll have you read on your notes with me there. It says, if a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post calmness can lay great offenses to rest. Rather than running away from authority or taking the law into our own hands or claiming we have the right to be angry or saying, I don't need to obey foolish leaders, Solomon recommends a calm and quiet response. This, by the way, is the biblical way everywhere in scripture to deal with foolish leadership wise way. You don't fight anger with anger. You don't fight foolishness with foolishness. Instead, you learn to live out the character of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus said in the second beatitude when he said, blessed are the meek. Now again, we hear that and we kind of cringe, but we've learned here at our church that meekness doesn't mean weakness. Meekness in Greek means strength under control. And so the wise response to those who are in authority over us, yes, even fools, if you're following on your notes there, is meekness, strength, under control. The fool responds in anger. The wise person responds calmly. By the way, this wisdom can apply to other situations in life than just political leadership. It is wisdom for workers with an angry boss. It is wisdom for students with an angry teacher. It is wisdom for parents with an angry child. It is wisdom for wives with an angry husband and vice versa. The way to deal with foolish anger is not to respond with foolish anger. It's to keep calm. Which I don't know about you. I can only do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote about this in Romans twelve twenty, actually quoting Proverbs. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's the wise way. Kill them with kindness. Kill them with calmness. Kill them with gentleness. I think of the greatest example of this in our culture is the civil rights movement under Martin Luther King Jr. Part of the reason it was so powerful and so effective is because people began to see again and again these images of police brutality dogs being sent on them, biting them, and their response was not anger in kind. It was calmness. It was gentleness. It was meekness, strength under control, and things began to change. Now, don't hear me wrong. There are times when Christians are called to leave a hard work situation. There are biblical grounds for separation and divorce. We need to hold angry people accountable. We don't let people walk over us. That's not what we're talking about. But even then, even in those situations, we need to learn how to act calmly and carefully rather than angrily and hastily. Staying calm is part of God's wisdom for foolish anger. The apostle Peter gives similar advice. He knew what it was like to deal with foolish people. He had people telling him to stop preaching the gospel of Jesus, yet Peter still commended a life of quietness and gentleness. He told Christians, submit to the governing authorities, even when they are persecuting you. Because by doing good deeds, the suffering church would put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, First Peter two thirteen through 15 oh, That would be great wisdom for us today, wouldn't it? In our angry country our angry political climate. What incredible wisdom it would be that instead of escalating the situation with more anger, that we chose to listen to understand, that we chose the path of meekness, strength under control, that we chose the path of humility. If we doubt the wisdom of Peter's counselor, if we think it's impossible for us to follow, we should remember the example that Peter then goes on to give us. Why keep calm under difficult people and difficult situations? Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Why can we do that? Because Jesus Christ was spat upon, mocked, beaten, and crucified by some really angry people. And yet, even in the midst of all that, he refused to fight anger with anger. Instead, he calmly did the work that God called him to do. And because he did, many people's lives who witnessed it were completely turned upside down. Now, Jesus calls you and me to follow in his footsteps. Can we do that? We say here that we are becoming H3 disciples, and that first H is humble. That's what we're talking about. Taking a posture of humility even in the face of some of the most angry people. That's when you'll begin to see change. Second way Solomon applies wisdom, if you're following there, number two, is to work. Again, comparing and contrasting a wise person to a fool. He says, starting in verse 8, Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed. But skill will bring success. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Now, Again, the first time I read this, I'm like, huh? But as you begin to look at them, they all share a similar idea here. Everyday work activities, right? Everyday work activities, and the application is found at the end of verse 12 of 10. Uh, 12, if you're on 10, if you're on your notes, sorry. Which is the wise prepare for their task. That's what this is about. The wise person prepares for their task. A fool neglects it. A wise person prepares for the task, the fool neglects it. The illustration that most jumps out to me is that example of the blade that's either dull or sharp. Some of you cut your own wood for winter for your fireplace and you know very well that preparing ahead of time by sharpening your blade is going to make that go a lot faster and it's going to make it a lot safer. In the same way, Solomon is saying that's what a wise person does in every area of life. They are prepared They're prepared for what's to come. They're prepared in their work, in their relationships, in their spiritual life. But there's so many people who just flail away at life without ever being prepared for what comes. The wise person knows to be successful. You must be prepared and work wisely. I read of a London bus company this week who was not stopping to pick up their customers on the route. And eventually there was a huge uproar about this, like why are the buses driving right by us? And their response as a company was simply, we can't keep our schedule on time if we keep stopping for people. (laughs) And I'm like, there is a company that is not prepared to do the very thing that they're supposed to do. If you're wise, you'll take the time to prepare. This principle applies to many areas of our lives, by the way, not just work. It applies to education, making sure you get the best training, sharpening your skills so that you can be effective for the kingdom of God. It applies to your relationships. A patient courtship, by the way, is much more likely to lead to successful marriage than a whirlwind romance. It's the same idea here. Prepare, prepare yourself for marriage. It applies to our spiritual life regularly practicing spiritual disciplines is going to prepare you for that time in your life when trials come and they'll come how sharp is your blade are you hacking away at life like a fool are you staying on the sharp edge of wisdom living wisely might take more time in the beginning but I promise you it will be more profitable in the end Solomon picks up this contrast between the fool and wise person again in verse 18 with this memorable image. Through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. Can't you just picture it? The fool just sits and does nothing. Neglects their work. And as a result, the house is destroyed. Again, that goes beyond just a physical house. Laziness will destroy the soul. That's too lazy to seek spiritual progress. It will destroy your relationships. I mean, it always baffles me, right? Marriage takes work in order for it to be successful. It's a principle there. It doesn't just happen. And if you don't invest in it, it'll be like that house that begins to leak and sag. Laziness will destroy a church that rests on what has already been accomplished rather than on what God wants to accomplish in the future. In contrast to a lazy fool, a hardworking person has everything that he or she needs. Look at verse 19. A feast is made for laughter, wine makes life merry, and money is the answer for everything. Now at first glance, I'm going, what? We know from elsewhere in the Bible and even here earlier in Ecclesiastes that money is not the answer for everything. And so remember again what Solomon is doing. He's comparing and contrasting and essentially he's saying the wise person will have everything they need because they will work hard and they will be able to enjoy what God has given them to enjoy. So to sum it up, the way I think of this whole section is the wise person is the one who lives intentionally instead of letting life just pass them by. What path are you on? Are you just taking life as it comes and hoping for the best or are you sharpening your blade? Are you preparing for whatever might come your way? Finally, the third area of wisdom Solomon compares a fool to a wise person is with our words. You knew it was coming, right? Eventually, every wise teacher has something to say about what we say. Our words are like the acid test of our heart. The acid test of our wisdom. The mouth speaks what the heart has in it. So every time we say something, it reveals whether our heart is full of wisdom or folly. Look at verse 12. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness. And fools multiply words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? The toil of fools wearies them. They do not know the way to town. What is the hallmark of a wise person when it comes to words? Did you see it in verse 12? If you're on your notes, the wise person speaks words of grace to people. The wise person speaks words of grace to people. This is exactly the opposite of how most people use words most of the time. We use our words to get what we want. We use our words to get a laugh, to get attention, to get even, to get somebody to do something for us. We use our words to build ourselves up and perhaps even tear others down. And yet, Solomon says it's the exact opposite for the wise person. The wise person speaks words of grace and life. The wise person speaks words that build other people up to help us see the difference. He mentioned some of the problems we have with foolish speech. We've all struggled with these. The first one is verse 12 Fool's words are destructive, if you're on your notes. The fool's words are destructive. While the wise person speaks gracious words that build others up, the fool blurts out whatever is on his or her mind and never stops to consider who might be hurt by it. Solomon actually gives an example at the very last verse of this chapter in verse 20. Look at it down there. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom because a bird in the sky may carry your words and a bird on a wing may report what you say. Did you know this is probably where we get our saying, a little bird told me? You know what that means, right? You say something that you never meant for somebody else to know you said, but a little bird told them. Somehow it got to them. And it might not even be originally what you said. It might get distorted and you have used destructive words. Speaking of birds, how many of you have ever seen this image here? Who knew Solomon would be a prophet? A little bird told me how many tweeted lines have been the downfall of politicians, professional athletes, celebrities, and everyday normal people. How easy it is, friends, to send a quick electronic message, but how difficult to undo the damage that can be done. So be careful what you say, be careful what you type, be careful what you do with your phone. Sooner or later, it may get repeated to the very person you were speaking about. If the wrong word reaches the ear of the wrong person, there may be serious repercussions. I think we've probably all experienced this at some time. Second, the fool's words are irrational, if you're on your notes. Verse 13 basically suggests that the longer a person talks, a fool talks, the crazier what they're saying becomes to the point that it no longer even makes sense. We've all experienced something like this. I won't give you any examples. Third, the fool's words are babbling. Babbling. As verse 14 says, fools multiply words. You know what that's saying, right? Fools just talk on and on and on, and eventually what they're saying has no meaning anymore. Jesus warned about this, by the way, when it comes to prayer. I'm grateful he did, because some people think that when it comes to prayer, I just have to talk on and on and on to get God's attention. But look what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Get to the point. Get to the point. For some reason, fools are not content to keep them thoughts, their thoughts to themselves sometimes. They think the whole world needs to hear what they're saying. I love what Plato once said. He said, wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools because they have to say something. That's the difference between wisdom and foolishness. And then finally, the fool's words are boastful. Boastful. The example Solomon gives is interesting in verses 14 through 15. He basically describes a person who talks about the future as if they know what's going to happen. And even worse, that they're in control of what's going to happen in the future. One of the many of the foolish things that foolish people like to talk about is the future. No one knows what's going to happen in days to come, but for some reason, this does not stop people from predicting the future. They love to predict fanciful theories about global disasters. To hear them speak, they're just one break away from striking it rich, right? This idea that we know what's going to happen. Solomon inserts a bit of humor even in verse 15. He says, These very people who think they know the future can't even make their way to the next town. You think you can answer all of life's most important questions, and yet you can't even read a map. This is similar to what James writes, who must have been familiar with Ecclesiastes, by the way. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go do this or to that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist. Wow, that's a very familiar word if you've been in Ecclesiastes with us that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. The wise person simply takes life as it comes. For who knows what tomorrow will bring. Friends, as we close, let me just say this. As helpful as this hopefully was, it's only information. And information won't make you wise. Let me say that again. Filling in the blanks on those message notes is not going to make you any wiser today. The Bible is not meant to be studied like a textbook. The Bible is meant to be depended on like a map. It is to provide us direction for living. And that leads to the best definition of wisdom I've ever heard. If you're on your notes there, true wisdom is doing what we know to be true. It's not just hearing the word of God, it's doing what we know to be true. That more than everything else is what separates a wise person from a fool. Jesus said this very thing in this story in Matthew 7. Take a look at the screen with me. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus not only believed there was a difference between wisdom and folly, he believed it was the difference between life and death. But what exactly made the difference? What makes one person wise and one person a fool? He told us, In verse 24, which I'll have you read on your notes with me out loud, it says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. (laughs) What makes somebody wise? It's putting these words into practice. It's building our lives upon the rock That is Jesus Christ and his word that can make us wise for salvation. 2 Timothy 3.15. So let me ask you as we close, am I building my life on the wisdom of God's word? Am I building my life on the wisdom of God's word? Are you putting into practice what you have heard and what you know to be true? For Solomon and Jesus living wisely is putting your faith into practice. And it's the most important decision you will ever make because ultimately that decision will de- de- determine what path you are on now and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is wisdom. It can make us wise unto salvation. It can show us the path to life. And yet sometimes it also hurts. And so this morning, we simply wanna take just a few moments, not just to let information be information, but to let it sink deep into our hearts and ask ourselves the question, am I straying off the path of wisdom in any way? Maybe it's just generally speaking, spiritually speaking, I've walked away from you. Maybe it's applied specifically to some of the situations we've seen in this text, whether it comes to dealing with an angry person in my life, to my work, to the way I use my words. Lord, we believe that your kindness leads us to repentance. And so right now, before you, before your spirit, we open up our lives to you trusting that you will show us where we have gone off the path and believing that you will help us to get back on so we give you this time Now, Father, we receive the good news that no matter how far we have strayed off the path, your mercies are new every morning. That if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and lead us into all righteousness. We receive that. We confess to you that we can't walk this path alone. We try to do it in our flesh and fail. Teach us to walk it in the power of your Holy Spirit. Teach us to be people who build our lives on the rock, the rock of your word, and to put into practice what we know to be true. We need your help. For Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, everybody agreed and said,